I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum. And welcome to Spoiler Alert, episode 92 for April. I'm Duncan. And I'm Simon. And 1992 was the year of sexy thrillers. Oh. Uh, Final analysis, hand that rocks the cradle, single white female, and perhaps most notoriously, basic instinct. That's a lot, eh? It is, yeah. And I mean, you think, oh, basic instinct, but it's like all those other films were under production before basic instinct hit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. 1992 was also the year a lot of people made their mark. Uh, Mike Myers hit the big time with Wayne's World, also announced the coming of age of Tim Robbins, with the critical satirical hits The Player and Mm -hmm. Bob Roberts, both Mm -hmm. released in that year. And perhaps the most significant debut of possibly the decade, Quentin Tarantino's Reservoir Dogs. Yeah, right. Uh, Billy Bob Thornton broke through uh, writing and starring in Carl Franklin's sparse thriller One False Move. Oh, that's so good. Aaron Sorkin announcing his presence with the screen adaptation of his own play, A Few Good Men. Then there was the threequels, Alien 3 and uh, Lethal Weapon 3. Mm-hmm. Uh, sequels, Batman Returns and Patriot Games. Paul Schrader's Light Sleeper. Cameron Crowe's Singles, whose awesome soundtrack captured the grunge zeitgeist at the time. Yeah. Uh, Raise the Red Lantern, The Crying Game, the imminently quotable and ferocious Glengarry Glen Ross. Robert Downey Jr. showing what he's capable of with his interpretation of the iconic Chaplin. Spike Lee and Denzel Washington teaming to release Malcolm X. Abel Ferreira calling Harvey Keitel to deliver a tour de force in Bad Lieutenant. Oh, I remember that so vividly. <laughs> Unforgiven, finally legitimizing Clint Eastwood as a director in the eyes of the Academy. Mm. While Pacino finally won an Oscar for Scent of a Woman. I think it was like about a seventh nomination or right. something. And uh, one of the creepiest films ever made that I love, uh, David Lynch's Twin Peaks Firewalk With Me. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, Firewalk With Me. And it's disturbing. I, the first time I saw it, it was just it totally unnerved me. Eh? Yeah, it's just one of those films that gets under your skin, and it's yeah. uh, fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. Look, the nineties haven't been great so far for horror, but I was pleasantly surprised by ninety two. There were some fun sequels. I, I rate Alien Three, and I love Tetsuo Two Body Hammer. Also, the name of my heavy metal band in an alternate timeline. <laughs> but controversially, perhaps, I never found Army of Darkness, the third of the Evil Dead films, all that groovy. Mm-hmm, right. Yeah. I can appreciate the gags to an extent, Bruce Campbell's always game performance and the slapstick, but the horror comedy balance tips too far into comedy for me. And a lot of that comedy feels way too childish for my liking. Mm-hmm. Uh, every couple of years I have another go at it, you know. But for me, Army of Darkness will never be the film Evil Dead 2 is. Right. That's kind of the peak, you know, oh, yeah. Evil Dead for me. Yeah. Um, I'm also a bit of a fan of Richard Stanley's Dust Devil, a curious South African horror of striking visuals and African mysticism. But the biggest horror release is undoubtedly Coppola's Dracula. Yeah. A star-studded, imaginatively shot retelling of the legend that seems at once true to Stoker's novel while also making Gary Oldman's Bloodsucker a much more empathetic creation. Um, after Godfather 3, I remember this film feeling kind of like the return of Coppola, you know? Mm, yeah. Yeah. A- at the time. It had been a few years since his last, like, decent hit, and this mm. one was a decent hit. Uh, it's probably chiefly known nowadays for Keanu Reeves' performance, yeah. um, which gets its own entry on the film's wiki page. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> which I thought, oh. Uh. Um, and it, which is pretty funny. But it's a delicious-looking film that was nominated for a heap of design Oscars and one for costume, makeup, and sound effects editing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but look, the top horror of 92, the top horror, is absolutely, without a doubt, Peter Jackson's Brain Dead, <laughs> a.k.a. Dead Alive. Wildly, exuberantly over the top. Uh, brain, brain Dead is hands down the bloodiest horror film ever made. Uh, I can't imagine a film coming close, you know? No. Uh, or the nerve it would take to even try. It's like, <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll outdo Brain Dead. You know? <laughs> uh, its gore is mostly comical and often insanely inventive, uh, full of outstanding effects, set pieces, from a queasy scene with custard and, detached, and, a, and a detached ear, uh, a priest who kicks ass with the Lord, <laughs> uh, to a zombie baby on the loose at a public park. Timothy Baum is a perfect wide-eyed energetic foil for all the insanity that approaches cartoonish levels. Uh, and just when you think you've seen it all, he walks into a room packed with zombies with a lawnmower strapped to his chest <laughs> uh, and proceeds to dismember everyone. <laughs> uh, madness. I wish Peter would make films like this more and maybe give up on Hobbits and 
wheel cities and whatever else he's working on. But then again, where do you go after brain dead? You know, what's next? Uh, yeah, I, I, um, I probably have a bit of a controversial opinion, but it's my favourite Peter Jackson film. I don't think that's controversial at all. I know. And I mean, look, I, I readily admit he's made objectively better films. Uh, Heavenly Creatures, you know, any one of the Lord of the Rings. But there's something about Brain Dead that, as you say, feels like the apex of a genre. Mm. And I think that that's, you know, that's its magnificence, really. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And it's the same way I love John Woo's Hard Boiled. Like a lot of people point at The Killer and say, well, that's actually a superior film. Uh, and I, I can see that argument, but Hard Boiled just is me. And it's the same with this. So I, 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 we used to watch this, and I'm sure you were the same, just nonstop. Yeah. I uh-huh. continually watch well, Brain Dead. Well, we're, we're the same in that. I did the yeah. same with Hard Boiled. And I would, I don't know, man, I might make the argument that The Killer is the better mm. film for me, but. Hard Boiled is the one that got me in. Yeah, you know, it's right. one I live with the most. Yeah, and, uh, and the set pieces in that film, like nothing yeah. beats that warehouse scene. We're getting into a whole other film here. <laughs> yeah, nothing beats that warehouse. Yeah, scene. Uh, yeah. but but coming back to Brain Dead, it's the same thing. And as you say, the lawnmower scene. When I saw that when it was released, I, it's just it's the same thing as that kind of giddiness mm. that I had when I watched something like The Raid, where just the ambitious, the 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 complete. Like we say, an, almost an apex or mm. a, a, a pinnacle, if not the pinnacle of a genre. Yeah. Uh, and, and certainly in Peter Jackson's career, as you say, where can you go after that? I mean, how, how can you? Yeah, because, I mean, every now and again you hear rumours like he, he often talks about wanting to do a World War One zombie film or returning yeah. to zombie. And like, what are you going to do? Yeah. Seriously. I mean, I'd, I'd love to see you top it. Yeah. <laughs> a World War One zombie film would be something, though. Oh, it, it totally would be. But yeah. I just can't see it happening. Eh? Yeah. yeah. Okay. And so, Simon, what have you been watching? Well, quite a bit, as you'd imagine. Yep. Like, uh, a lot of uh, Oscar-nominated films yep. this month. Uh, but I also went to see a big blockbuster. Nice. And what could be bigger than two giant monsters fighting each other around and under the world? Mm. Uh, so obviously I'm talking about Godzilla versus Kong, the long-teased meeting of, of the icons. And listeners, it's not great. <laughs> uh, it's fair to say you're probably only there for the kaiju fighting, which is maybe a quarter of the film. And I've got to say, I'm not a man without joy in my heart. I can appreciate the pleasure in watching a giant monkey punching a giant lizard in the jaw. <laughs> but did almost everything else have to be so worthless in this film? Uh, on the plus side, wisely, I think, this film spends more time with Kong than Godzilla. Kong is an easier beastie to relate to, whether he's scratching his butt after a nap or frowning in frustration. He is the more human of the film's uh, monsters. Harder to care about Godzilla, who was better served in Garth Edwards' original, which had the good sense to make him a force of nature, a walking tidal wave-causing mountain, seldom seen, but whose effects cause chaos to the world around him. But humans are this franchise's weakness yet again. The plot re- revolves around two scientists, one decent, played by Rebecca Hoare, one a bit on the mad scientist spectrum, played by Alexander Skarsgård. Hoare works for Monarch, you know, the monster-studying organisation who seems to have all the money in the world, uh, enough to Truman show Kong and his entire island of beasties somewhere in the Pacific. I mean, how was that done? <laughs> who built that? Uh, whatever. Hall is convinced, for reasons that are never clear to me, uh, by an immediately transparently evil corporation to transport Kong to a giant cavern in the Antarctic, which leads, if Skarsgård's nutty theories are true, to an Earth-like world at the core of our world, called the Hollow Earth. There, the evil corporation hoped to harness the unlimited power there for their own, no doubt, nefarious means. And I don't know why there should be some amazing magical power source in the Hollow Earth, or why the villain should be able to harness it by simply downloading it, as if they were downloading a movie, much like you will probably do when you watch Godzilla vs. Kong. <laughs> but this isn't the sort of film where those questions are asked, much, le- much less answered. Despite this, I kind of like the Hollow Earth scenes. They reminded me of the sort of film I would have watched when I was a kid, with you know, stop-motion monsters and Patrick Wayne or a slumming James Mason. <laughs> you know, not a $165 million blockbuster starring a slew of award-winning actors. <laughs> And like I say, those actors are let down by all the silliness. Hall and Skarsgård come out of this the best, probably because they are at the coalface of the action, and their decisions have actual impact on the narrative. Uh, also, I like them as actors, and I empathise with them, because like them, I am stuck in this stupid, stupid movie. <laughs> uh, Millie Bobby Brown and Kyle Chandler are in this as well, presumably solely as a link to The Last Godzilla, because their scenes have so little purpose in this film, aside from adding to its runtime. Uh, Millie, Millie Bobby Brown has teamed up with Julian Dennison and uh, Brian Terry Hughes who play uh, 
a podcaster. Oh, the worst. Oh, just the absolute, <laughs> eh? I hope they just got um, destroyed in that kind of Jurassic World style, uh, you know, where they just get ripped into you're the You're going to be disappointed. Uh, now, both the comic relief character, both um, uh, Denison and Hughes, and yet they're in loads of scenes together. And I'm not convinced anything they did gave me any actual comic relief. But then if we go down that road, we could easily get it out Millie and Kyle as well, taking the few sh- tiny shards of impact they might have had on this narrative and giving them to other characters. It's just that sort of film where people just don't serve a purpose, yep. and yet they have long scenes together. Mm-hmm. So that leaves us with the fighting, and it's fun. I'm unconvinced by the scale. Kong has a teenage growth spurt, uh, I guess, and now can go one-on-one with Godzilla, toppling buildings as they fall, and yet managing to stand on top of an aircraft carrier together at one point so they can exchange blows. And there's a third monster who Godzilla and Kong have to team up together to fight, which I guess is a kind of a spoiler, but only for anyone who hasn't watched a modern franchise film and doesn't know how IP works. <laughs> which I guess means there's another one of these things on the horizon, eh? Yeah. With, I don't know, Megalon or Mecha Kong or that weird shaped smog monster. <laughs> and I'd like to say I won't be watching it, but I've watched all of these. <laughs> wow. So I'm ashamed to say I'll probably be there for that one as well. Yeah, tough going. Hey, I think this did quite well at the box office as well. Yeah, yeah, well, it did. I mean, and I guess part of that is movie theatres yeah, opening so up and, and, and this was there. Yeah, there's a paucity of stuff around, I guess, especially big um, blockbuster action films, more likely to be independent kind of films that will be yeah. released but now. So, yeah, so I imagine that's why, but, yeah. But also, how is he going to watch a film like this? I mean, mm. it exists to watch these uh, monsters fight each other in a neon city, which mm. they do, and so yeah. if you're going to see that, you might as well see it at the movie theatre. Yeah, know? absolutely, yeah. Mm. Oh, well, I won't be going to see it in a hurry. We've had this discussion before, actually. I think I think when you reviewed the last one, right? Because I think oh, this sure, uh, yeah. Which which I, I this is better. Yeah, I've th- got to say this is turning into your yearly penance, basically. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. But I mean, yeah, I, I think in, uh, around that time, and we've discussed it before, but I just, that was when I had a, a moment of clarity without any kind of prejudice or 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 negativity on my part. I just went, you know, you know what this. That this genre is not for me. I don't care about fighting monsters. Yeah, I, I, you know, and and because I could see other people around me, kind of be excited by that. Oh, you've seen a new trailer for that, and I'm like, I don't even care, man. No, and that no. was when I went, mm, that's just not for me. So that's no, fine. That's cool. I tend to end up seeing these ones more uh, going with a friend. Yeah, so they're, they're not something where I'm going. Yeah, I really want to see this. Yeah, but I'm also surprised by how good the reaction has been to this film. Maybe I don't, mm. I don't know about the critical reaction, but yeah, people seem to be. Been quite like ah, it's really good fun, and it's like, yeah. but does it have to be so bad? Yeah, like yeah, I get it that visually there's some joy to be had watching these monsters fight, mm. but there's a whole an hour and a bit of change in there that you've got yeah. to fill up, and that is terrible. I mean, yeah. genuinely terrible, mm. and it doesn't have to be that, that way, does it? No, you know, it doesn't. No. Anyway, so I hope you've had a better month in film. Uh, yeah, I'm pretty much going to talk about the diametrically opposed experience you had. Oh, oh okay. Um, very briefly, because I don't want to ruin it at all. And um, I watched The Father, uh, which for a film based on a stage play, the film makes really good use of cinematic images. I was quite impressed with mm. uh, how much they visually used to get across what they were going through. Pictures disappearing from walls. Bookshelves gradually emptying, a skipping CD, a loud, fast dripping tap, drying up to silence, uh, the cruelty of age and disease. Uh, Olivia Coleman's presence is not to be underestimated in this uh, as well. She's really good in this. There's a strong moment when the camera focuses on her during a diatribe from her father, where it's just impossible not to want to like embrace her, you know, because she's Olivia mm. Coleman, but also mm. the stuff that he's saying is just like, dude. Mm. <laughs> um, and it's just wordless, you know, performance from her there. Uh, with the memories of that other film I mentioned in our last podcast, when we reflected on our films of the decade, a more, uh, very similar, you know, kind of older people stuck in this one environment, basically. The father is well-crafted with impressive confidence and construction, especially for a debut filmmaker. Uh, also because it's a stage play that was in French and now it's been (laughs) adapted into, um, into English, uh, cinema. But the film will be remembered for a lead performance that will be held up as among the greatest of Anthony Hopkins' career, a career that contains one of the most iconic villains of all time in Science of the Lambs and one of my personal favourite performances of all time in The Remains of the Day. Uh, I've spoken about probably two of my favourite performances ever put on Sally Lloyd. One, as you well know, we both celebrate as 
Alan Bernstein and um, Requiem for a Dream. Mm. And the other one for me is uh, him and as the Butler yeah. Remains of the Day. Oh, Remains of the Day is so powerful. Uh, it's incredible. So yeah. And, and the fact that Hopkins can deliver this performance makes us believe in this character so completely is a real testament to his skills. Mm. I remember um, listening to a comment, I think, from the comedian Bill Burr, and he was talking about, you know, how he couldn't, you know, he, he does acting, but he, he just couldn't get in. He doesn't know how actors think. And he's talking about Anthony Hopkins, and he's like, that guy played um, Hannibal Lecter. Your career should be over. You shouldn't be able to play anyone else. Yeah. You know, it's yeah, like, yeah, that's yeah. ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and the fact that he, you know, then turns around and he's, oh, I'm going to be Nixon and I'm going to do that. Like, that's, and and that blows me away. But he is so good in this. Obviously, he just won the Oscar, which we'll talk about in a minute. Mm. Um, and I think, in all honesty, it's one of the best performances I've seen in the last few years. I, yeah. I, I, I can't think of, immediately, I can't think of too many yeah, yeah. films. Um, he really has quite something in it. And uh, I mean, he's in his eighties and he's delivering this. Yeah, you know, it's yeah, it's it's just astounding. Right. Uh, yeah. So I don't want to give anything more away about it, but uh, just obviously, I recommend going to see it. And I'm really glad, to see, as we've often spoken about, it's really good to see any film in a cinema, mm. uh, be it Godzilla or um, The Father, mm. because you are immersed in that world. Um, and, and when the world's this. Uh, compelling and convincing mm. um and 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 heartbreaking then it's you know it's uh it's rewarding uh and it makes you reflect on the power of cinema uh, and what it can deliver and like i say even from someone who uh you know has been acting for 60 years can still do something of this mm. um kind of gravity it's quite amazing yeah so yeah, yeah. Oh, two very different months in cinema yeah definitely <laughs> Do you know, I'd give everything I own for a glass of whiskey. Don't you agree? Well, I don't own all that much, so... <laughs> oh, really? What do you do for a living? Um, I look after other people. Other people? Hmm. Yeah, my job is to help people who need help. <laughs> oh. Must be a difficult job, though, isn't it? I mean, uh, spending all day with one of those... Ugh, I mean, I couldn't stand it. <laughs> Am I right? <laughs> all right, because it's Oscars time, we decided to do our Academy Awards homework this month by dipping into Oscars history and watching an award winner from the past. Now, Duncan and I picked different films, I assume. Yeah, <laughs> it would be, <laughs> be remarkable if we both picked the same one. Oh, I start talking, you're like, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, God. We only had like 3,000 films to choose from. But. Yeah, totally. <laughs> oh, you jerk, yeah. And uh, neither of us know what the other pick, so I'll kick off by saying I watched Save the Tiger right. from 1973. You didn't... No. Uh, I did not pick this one, but uh, I also have ooh. not seen it, but I am aware of it. Oh, I've talked about it before. Yeah. yeah. So uh, nominated for Best Screenplay, Supporting Actor for the wonderful Jack Guilford, and a winner for Best Actor for Jack Lemmon. Mm -hmm. uh, so Save the Tiger, 1973, starring Jack Lemmon, Jack Guilford, and Laurie Heinemann, written by Steve Shagan and directed by John G. Evelson. Harry Stoner is the successful owner of a clothing company with a new line due out, but over the course of a day and a half, things start to unravel. One of his customers almost dies. Debts escalate. The mafia comes sniffing around. And Harry weighs up whether to burn down one of his warehouses for the insurance money. All the while, he's haunted by memories of his experiences during the Second World War. So, I came to save the tiger when I discovered Lemon won the best actor uh, Oscar for the film. And yet I'd never heard of it before this. So, look, for reference, in this year, he was up against Jack Nicholson for The Last Detail, Robert Redford for The Sting, Marlon Brando for The Last Tango in Paris, and Al Pacino in Superco. Yeah. I mean, now I know all those films, all those performances, uh, minus Last Tango, which, I've never, which I'll never see, I don't think. Right. Uh, so that's a stacked year, which makes the win even more impressive, mm. I think, and really made me want to see it. Yeah. Um, and maybe also the Academy were a bit shy about giving another award to Brando, who famously, the year before, <laughs> sent actress Sasheen Littlefeather to accept his Oscar for The Godfather. So maybe there was a little bit of... Yeah, I was there. It was really awkward. Yeah, yeah, yeah it was. <laughs> hey, I, I, your face, man. You said it all, eh? Uh, it was also nominated, as I said, for Best Supporting Actor for Jack Guilford and a screenplay nomination for Steve Chagan. But this is Lemon's film. Uh, he worked for scale, apparently, and helped rustle up financing. And why not? This is a film that seems... Built for his regular schmo everyman and his wonderful ability to play a guy in a crisis, both moral and uh, financial. Though he is dialed back a lot of the time here, which I'm grateful for because he's in every scene of the film. <laughs> um, slowly unravelling, swinging back into moments of clarity and conviction before coming apart at the, at, at, at the seams. If he played it bigger throughout, I'm not sure the film could have taken it. 
it's also odd that there's no comedy to any of this, right? You know, uh, Lemon was such a great tragic comedian uh, that it's strange to see him handle this material such as straight bad, especially since the sheer and the sheer number of hurdles uh, thrown in his way of a one day verge on the ridiculous. <laughs> Uh, but the point is, to me at least, that Harry is a carved out man where all that he wanted to be or thought he was have been removed, mostly to make way for ambition and desire. He's increasingly a shell of a man, and Lemon plays him with the sort of anger and pitiable sadness that elevates the rest of the film around him. And I can see why Guilford was nominated alongside him. The, the film has flaws, no doubt, but it's never better than when these two are sharing the screen. Uh, Guilford is Lemon's business partner and the perfect balance to him. They're uh, introduced arguing over their failing company. Uh, Guilford is straighter, more by the books, but it's telling that while he argues against payoffs and shady dealings, he doesn't stop Lemon. Yeah. Uh, he's a moral compass in words, not deeds, and seems content as long as he's not the one making the phone call or, you know, physically handing over dirty money. But in the next scene, they go to lunch and we see a warmth between them, like it's this genuine friendship that I found really touching and compelling. You can understand that their fighting comes from their closeness as friends. You know, they wouldn't do it if they... Didn't, didn't love each other, yeah. you know, and can maybe only happen because of it. And as I said before, I hinted it, this film's got some misses for me. Probably the most egregious being Laurie Hindman's kind-eyed, happy muse who's as free with sage advice as she is with her body. I don't know if angelic young women dropping into bed much older co-stars <laughs> uh, and giving, giving them impossibly wise life advice was a cliche in 73, but it damn well feels like it now. <laughs> Which is no slight on Heinemann herself. Uh, she's delightful in an unreal sort of role. I'm just not sure what m what more could have been, been done with it. You know what yeah. I mean? It just feels like, oh, it feels leaden. Yeah. You know? Uh, also at the time, and even more recently, Save the Tiger was criticised for being overstuffed, too full of targets and ideas to be examined from critiques of capitalism, sex work, the war in Vietnam, and the barely touched upon theme of endangered animals that gives the film its title, but nothing else. Save the Tiger definitely lays out more than it can ever possibly deal with. Right. Um, screen, screenwriter Steve Shagan clearly has a lot of content for American culture that he wants to air in this film, but I'm surprisingly okay with that. I mean, ambition, even overreaching ambition, is better than not taking a decent swing. Mm -hmm. And Harry's day and a half is supposed to seem overwhelming. That's the point, uh, both to him and to us. But I do concede it's a lot, you know? Yeah. Um, it might be too much for our listeners as well, but then again... That's Harry's floor as well. He, he wants to live it all, to have it all. He's a man with a phone in his car in 1973 oh. uh, and an absent daughter or studying um, finishing school in Switzerland. He wants all that success even as he yearns just to play baseball again like he did when he was a kid. So I really enjoyed Save the Tiger. Mm -hmm. it, you know, it's only 90-odd minutes as well. Mm -hmm. It's ambitious and it overreaches where subtlety might have served it better. Uh, the nomination received for screenplay seems a little baffling to me. It's maybe a a few drafts away from belonging in that category. <laughs> uh, and also, while I applaud Shagan's spotlight cast on the sins of 70s America, the answer he posits seems to be, uh, weren't things great in the 40s, though? <laughs> you know, which is doesn't strike me so much as a solution as kind of rose-spectacle sentimentality. But then again, is that just Harry's take on a, the past, a life that's passed him by? After all, one of the best scenes in the film is, is Harry on stage speaking to a room full of potential buyers, but just seeing them as the dead soldiers he fought alongside during the Second World War. Right. It's like this striking and um, uncomfortable scene that goes on quite a long time, you mm -hmm. know, really sticks with you. Um, but having said that, the acting nominations I feel in this are, are really earned. And really, that's why you're going to watch this film, I feel, mm -hmm. you know, now and you know, yeah. in, in 2021. Is it better than uh, Superco and um, Last Detail? And, as uh, a film? Uh, no, as, as performance-wise. Uh I don't know. That's really hard to measure. Um, well, I mean, you know, you, you know, it's not like a, oh man, he got, you know. No, no, he deserves it. I th yeah, I yeah. Think, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's a really good performance. Oh, nice. Um, like I say, he's in every scene. So I yeah. think he, and because this film is doing so, like I say, trying to do so much and with mm -hmm. such, you know, energy and just whistling along that if mm -hmm. it didn't have somebody, you know, anchor it as well as he does, yeah. I don't think it would have worked. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't right. think it would have held up at all. Mm. Yeah, uh, it's an interesting one. I, I I'm the same as you. The only reason I know I even heard of this is because um, it beat all these other yeah. great, you know. I, I mean, and Jack Lemmon won for the apartment, right? I think he won best actor for the for the apartment um, back in the '60s. So he'd already won an Oscar at that point. But mm. 
yeah, I remember, you know, so there's no shame. I mean, Jack Lemmon's a terrific actor. I mean, yeah, yeah. having seen him in other films, no one breaks down as well as, as Jack Lemmon does. Oh. I mean, look at Glengarry Glen Ross or Shortcuts, and you just yeah, watch yeah, him. Yeah, you yeah. Just steal those films from, oh, from brilliant he's actors. Marvelous, huh? Yeah, he, he's fantastic. Uh, oh, cool. Yeah, I'm, I may well check that one out. And yeah, yeah. To watch that. Um, I was just reflecting as well on the um, on uh, the next year, the Art Carney winning for Harry and Tonto. We've talked about this. Before. Yeah, yeah. Well, that was one I was almost thinking about. I was almost that close to kind of have hunting you, that one. Yeah, yeah. I've never seen, seen it. it. No, no, no. Have I, no have I. But yeah, he beat uh, it was Albert Finney and Murder on the Orient Express, Dustin Hoffman and Lenny, Ooh. Jack Nicholson and Chinatown, and of course Pacino and The Godfather Part Two. Lightweights. <laughs> yeah, they got nothing. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so uh, how about yourself? What did you uh, decide to go? Well, for? I was I actually I actually looked through quite a few films. I actually uh, had a bit of a um, kissed a lot of a lot of frogs with this one. Really? Yeah. So, um, but I settled on one, and that was uh, best foreign language film Academy Award winner, also for nineteen seventy three. So we got oh, the year, same year, right? Well, we got pretty close. We to got it. very close. Yeah. So, I mean, all the years we managed to get the same yeah. year, day for night. Directed by Francois Truffaut. Sure. So have you seen this? No, no. I know of it, though. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I've seen a few of Truffaut's films, but this is one I hadn't. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it won um, the uh, Best Foreign Language Film, what's now called uh, International Feature. Hmm. It's not called Foreign mm, Language mm, anymore. Mm, so, mm. Yeah. On the set of his latest melodrama, Meet Pamela, a director has to navigate many challenges, from distracted actors to uncooperative animals to romantic relationships both developing and deteriorating. All the while, cinema has to be made. Now, famously, friend and fellow leader of the French New Wave, Jean-Luc Godard, stormed out of a viewing of Day for Night and wrote a letter accusing Truffaut of being a liar and his, and his film just being bourgeois fluff. Um, this was 1973, and the consequences of Vietnam War, European unrest, the counterculture, civil rights were preoccupations to the point of obsession with Goddard. I'd love to be accused of being a bourgeois <laughs> anything, eh? <laughs> by Goddard, that'd be incredible. Yeah. But his vitriolic letter compounded with the gall in the same letter to ask the target of his distaste for assistance producing his next film. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, you're a liar. It's shit. You should be disgust disgusted with yourself. By the way, can you help me co-produce my next film? Um, and it caused a rift between the two that sadly was never resolved. Uh, Truffaut dying in uh, the mid eighties, and um, they, they never spoke again. And apparently Goddard um, reached out to him, but he just was. He, Truffaut sent back a, a twenty-page letter, um, just berating him wow. back, and they never spoke again. Um, so in this film, Truffaut takes jabs at himself. Uh, one of his actresses bemoaning his directing style in favor of Fellini's. See, Truffaut plays essentially himself in this film yeah. Uh, as the director. The films that have come since about filmmaking, and this is one of these films where I think the impact of this film at the time would have been a lot more uh, revolutionary than it is now. Um, because I was thinking about the films, film within a film genre, and how many tip their hats to Day for Night. The David Mamet's State Main especially really ran through my head yeah. in this. Um, the onset dalliances between um, between cast and crew, navigating cost-cutting measures. In Day for Night, there's a, there's a scene where the crew cut cigarettes in half to make them last longer. So they're, they're just cutting cigarettes in yeah, half, yeah, putting yeah. them on a plates and handing them out. And, and there's always a scene in State and Maine where David Mamet's crew are um, uh, filling empty Evian bottles with tap water and then using a lighter to burn the caps back on. Right. And then handing it back to the crew <laughs> to think that it's heavy water. And it reminded me of that. Um, Robert Altman's The Player opens with an even grander opening tracking shot than Day for Night's ambitious introduction across a French town square that actually keeps getting interrupted and so has to keep yeah, going yeah, again yeah, and yeah. again and again. Um, but Truffaut shows the artifice behind the artifice. The last frame of a sweeping crane shot rests on a wide shot that shows the vintage buildings just on the edge of the town square are nothing more than plywood facades. Mm. And it's just off to, it's not a big reveal. Mm. It's just a little bit onto the left. Yeah. And you're like, ah, huh. it's like they just pull back too fast. Yeah, yeah. And it's really well done. Living in Oblivion also takes its cues from day for night. The filmmaker's nightmares plaguing him and spilling into his work. The seemingly endless takes revealing a failure to achieve the artistic ambitions of its director. And also the fact that meeting Pamela looks 
like a pretty dry kind of like really you guys are busting the gut for this film and it's just yeah. living in oblivion you know yeah but you yeah. know it's just be peter dinklage to show up and just yeah. rant about what do you need a dwarf in your film <laughs> <laughs> uh but there's there's a technical daring of day for night uh, so like i say the crane shots of crews doing tracking shots built on top of a pool so th- the actual filmmakers in the film are shooting a scene and they have like built these this tracking shot over top of a pool over pieces of wood but we obviously are going well we're seeing this from a crane shot so it's quite amazing um then there's the flashes appearing in an unrelated scene the flashes of of light seconds before we cut to photographers hounding the uh, arriving leading lady at an airport there's a dip into her interior monologue that just suddenly kind of happens and then disappears there's freeze frames photo stills even opening uh with audio wave forms over the opening titles and yet for all the embracing of the artificial, especially with such inconsistency, the film also revels in its authenticity. Authenticity. It feels extemporaneous. It feels like unprepared and kind of just made up on the spot, a lot of it. And there's so much sly wit in the film. Truffaut's director telling his crew, we'll shoot the scene when you can find a cat that can act. It's uh, <laughs> one of my favorite lines. Followed by the visible relief of the crew when the cat licks up milk as desired for the shot. It's mm. like the most um, kind of victorious scene in the whole film. Yeah, yeah. It's just this cat doing what you think a cat would normally yeah, do, and yeah, it can't yeah, get yeah. this cat to do it. Yeah. <laughs> and everyone's just cheering this guy because he's found a cat who will lick up milk, you know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, or when a character leaves the film for love, uh, another character responds, I'd dump a guy for a film, but never a film for a guy. Yeah. And uh, then Truffaut shows love for his fellow filmmakers, most importantly for Orson Welles' influence on him as a child, uh, but also peppered throughout are references to Breeson, Rossellini, Hawks, his beloved Hitchcock. Even the contemporary blockbuster The Godfather has shown appreciation. They're kind yeah, of like, right. what should we go see? And it's like, well, nothing else. It's just The Godfather. It's like, that's all it's on. Um, <laughs> and then also there's the lead actor in the film, um, being gay in 1973, is neither a secret nor a problem. Mm. Uh, it doesn't even feature that much of a, as a plot point. Right. Uh, the childish behavior of one of the other lead actors, Alphonse, is far more of a problem for the production. Lovesick, possessive, and juvenile, uh, and heterosexual. He's mm. like a, got a big problem. And he puts women on a pedestal. And then Jacqueline Bissett is also given the great line, if women are magic, then men are too. Either we are all magic or no one is. Yeah. Uh, it's a really healthy attitude that shines through just moments before she follows wisdom up with, the most stupid decision she could. <laughs> uh, and although Day for Night doesn't have a traditional plot, nor does it move to a grand revelation, it can feel slight. And essentially, it is just kind of a series of vignettes. But Truffaut's film is not as cynical or even patronizing as some of the film within the film genre can be. A lot of the films I've mentioned, especially The Player. Yeah. Um, he pokes fun, but there is a joy to how he captures a chaotic production. While he never delves too deep into the characters. He does have just as much fun with the people playing the crew as he does the cast. The absurdity, the artistry, the frustration, the ambition. Day for Night doesn't suffer from its near 50-year production date. If anything, it's a breath of fresh air. And what Godard thought of as a meaningless distraction remains one of Truffaut's triumphs and the most effervescent meditation on Truffaut's confessed philosophical obsession where the cinema is more important than life. I don't think he necessarily answers that because he doesn't... The film isn't really in the in the body of the film isn't dealing with those yeah. kind of uh, heavy themes in any real impactful way, but the whole existence of the film ponders that. Mm. Uh, yeah, but I, I recommend checking this one out. I think that it holds up pretty well. Yeah, and um, yeah, and and I think at the time, all the films I've mentioned, which we enjoy, you know, they've all come in in the in the trail of this. So, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Oh, this one is great. I mean, I'd, 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 uh, I'd, I'd say watch this before you watch Save the Tiger. Um, <laughs> right. That's a film that doesn't hold up so well, even if the performance is really good. But that's yeah. Something, yeah, great. Yeah, and it is one I I missed. Um, yeah. For some reason. Yeah, and I mean, I, I don't think it's Truffaut's best, not by a long shot. Mm. I mean, I think Four Hundred Blows or Jules, oh, I love yeah, Jules Jim mm. or you know, he's probably made a lot of better yeah. films, but um, yeah. this is. This is a good one, you know, and definitely yeah. one to check out. The entire place, Phil. We don't get down on our knees to anybody. You expect me to buy that crap? 
For Christ's sakes, Harry, don't you understand? It's people like us, people in the middle that made this country work. And, and when, when, when people like ourselves get into this, this kind of thing, it, it, it takes it all down. That's what's ripping the country. Son of a bitch, don't you sell America to me. I've got friends over there sitting under the sand with bikinis on their heads. All right, so that was our uh, Oscars films from the past. So what about the Oscars that just happened? Yeah, today? just, just happened like today. This is, yeah, we're recording this the day of it. And, um, yeah, a few hours ago. Our predictions were, like, we're pretty even on our predictions. Mm. We've got a couple different. Uh, yeah. So, like I said earlier, our rivalry must continue. Yeah, that's right. We draw. Yeah. Um, so, what did I, what did you get uh, incorrect? What was your I got uh, best actress wrong. You got that correct. You picked Francis McDormand. Yep. Uh, I took a real punt on that. I wasn't sure because that had been split uh, across a lot of the mm. things. So yep. different people won the BAFTA versus the Golden Globe versus the Screen Actors Guild. I think yep. I don't think any one person won yep. all of them. Yeah, uh, and, you, and you picked the father. Uh, I picked the father of screenplay, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah I picked mm. that. And, uh, and we both got lead actor wrong because, yeah. I mean, as much as I wanted Anthony Hopkins to win, I was just like, I've just railed in this podcast about how brilliant it was yeah. and i only just saw it i didn't i thought both was a lock he'd won everything else yeah and uh yeah it I was mean, it was a weird moment in the presentation eh? yeah him winning because uh it was the last award handed out yeah he wasn't there to accept it yeah so it was like big picture of anthony hopkins yeah and then uh yeah we're out of here yeah and the other thing was that they had joaquin phoenix um presenting yeah and everyone else did these uh they, they talked about the performance. They talked about the performances, like went really yeah, into the performances yeah. and like Laura Dern and, and, and Viola Davis and, and all kinds of people went into, yeah. you know, she was given to Tyler Perry and she went into this big thing about him and, uh, uh, you know, everyone did all these things. And Joaquin Phoenix is basically like, uh, I don't know, like, I, I, you know, I just do my thing and I can't pr yeah. even pretend to talk about this. So here are the actors. And I it, was like, whoa, that's, you know... It, Felt odd. It's almost like he'd um, he'd got his homework and read it wrong. Yeah, and then showing up, you know, it's like I've got to talk about acting, and everyone went, "Oh, they mean the performances, but not." Yeah, yeah. Phoenix got it all wrong. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And he, yeah, it was. Uh, you would have thought he would be more comfortable talking about other actors than himself. You know oh. what I mean? You would have thought he would have. Yeah. Been yeah. happy to go. Okay, yeah. Rosamie did this, and Anthony yeah. did this, and yeah, you know, absolutely. Um, especially considering you know um, Chadwick Boseman was no longer with us and you know anthony hopkins yep. is this kind of giant but yeah what's strange that hopkins wasn't there because i think he was the only person um who you know uh, who who wasn't there who won i think oh no i think actually the uh one of the costume designers for mm. marini's black bottom she wasn't there yeah and it's a shame he yeah. couldn't be there like by a link or something as well yeah, yeah yeah everyone all the other british ones were in the bfi i think and he was just yep. kicking it back home maybe um, yeah yeah but you know, can't can't disagree with that. So you're just running over it. So best picture was Nomad Land. Mm. Uh, best director Chloe Zhao. Um, best actor was uh, Anthony Hopkins for The Father. I yep. chose um, Chad Bozeman, Murray yes, did I. and you did as well. Uh, yep. Best actress was Frances McDormand mm -hmm. for uh, Nomad Land. Um, I chose Carrie Mulligan, Promising Young Woman. So I got that one wrong. Best supporting actor was um, Daniel Kaluuya. Yeah, um, and uh, I got to say that one felt like an absolute lock from oh, the moment totally. I saw that film. Right, uh, yeah. I, I just thought he was incredible. It was one of those performances where you legitimately forget you're watching a person acting. Yeah. Uh, it was weird to me, as I said on Facebook, that he was nominated for Best Supporting Actor Yeah. alongside his co-star, Keith Stanfield, who was nominated for Best Supporting Actor. Mm. So are there no actors in that film, just supporting actors? Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, it's a strange thing. Yeah. And I think, um, I, I don't think Lakeith was ever going to win, but it, yeah. it certainly wasn't helped by the fact that his yeah. co-star was yeah. giving such an amazing performance that it yeah. kind of shut him out of that category. Yeah, that's right. And I, perhaps it was a tactical thing where they were like, well, sure it was. Daniel Kaluuya is going to win this if we put him in this. He's going he's gonna to yeah. smoke it. So. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, best supporting actress was Yoon Young jung uh, uh, Which I'm really happy about because yeah. I thought her performance was remarkable. It was great. Um, and uh, she gave a great speech as well. I don't know if you saw her uh, speech. I did not see her speech. She was all over the place. Cause, um, she has been all um, award season. It, yeah, it yeah. was great. You know, she was like the Korean equivalent of Olivia Coleman. Just like everyone everyone wants to hear her talk and just yeah, yeah, yeah. entertained by her. And uh, you, Brad Pitt presented the award. And she, her first thing was like, oh, I'm so so happy, Mr. Pitt. I get finally get to meet you and all this kind of stuff. She obviously wanted to like hug him and all the rest of it. He's trying to social distance and everything else. <laughs> uh, you know, and then she's just off on a, you know. Yeah. Saying, uh, you know, all this kind of inappropriate stuff and all the rest of it, and brilliant. You know, it was it was great. So she was she was probably my favorite speech of the night. 
uh, best original screenplay we both guessed was Promising Young Woman. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Yeah, it was. I I just thought it was. It felt fresh. You know what I mean? Yeah. It, it felt uh, challenging and interesting, and I it took it took risks, and yeah. I love seeing that. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, I didn't realize the the uh, the writer director herself was an actress as well. Yeah, totally. So I so, had no idea. So, so yeah, plays yeah. Uh, Camilla Parker Bowles in The Crown. That's right. Um, yeah, yeah, it's amazing. It is, and this is her first film. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. they were saying she was pregnant when she was directing it too. Yeah, yeah. Which so she's written a bit, uh, or was a showrunner, I believe. I might. Someone will yeah. correct me. Somebody's screaming at us right now. Yeah. Uh, on um, Killing Eve, which actually says a lot about oh, this right. film's, okay. um, you know, this has a right. Killing Eve kind of feel to it. And right. In a sense. Yeah. Yeah, and best screenplay of the father. Um, so, yeah. Uh, yeah. Which, which, I, I, just, which I, I got wrong. I took a pick. So father, yeah. uh, I've seen most of these films, but I haven't seen The Father. Mm. Um, so I picked... Um, I, I you picked Nomadland. Yeah, I, I did pick Nomadland, and that yeah. was based on that very basic. Like, I think Nomadland is going to win best film, so yeah. I'll probably also pick up best screenplay. Yeah, just that sort of you know maths in my head, mm. where I look at past wins and think uh, usually there's that combination happens. Yeah, but but not always. So no, no, that's right. I mean, the thing is, um, like I say, the Chadwick Boseman works completely through everyone because I, I'm pretty certain he won every single acting thing there was going. I don't think he missed one. I think yeah. he picked all of. I think he won all of them. Yeah. The amazing thing is that seemed like the biggest shock of the night, and yeah. it happened at the end of the night. Yeah. And it happened like, as we said, because there was no acceptance speech. It happened. Yeah. like, Yep. And here's this big shock, and we're out. Yeah. <gasps> yeah. You know? That's right. And uh, yeah. And I mean, I, I've seen both the performances, and and you know, and I think the the, the sad thing is Chadwick Boseman obviously can't deliver another performance. Yeah. So that's going to be, you know, uh, that that's a shame because he he didn't. Uh, I said at the time when I saw my ratings split bottom, I said that's the kind of performance that wins Oscars. You yep. know, there's there's a, there's that moment. There's there's often a moment in a film, not always, but there's a moment in a film where you can go, that's going to win an Oscar, mm. or it's going to at least get a nomination for an Oscar. I've been wrong. I've been completely mm. wrong. I watched Nightcrawler, and I was like, well, Jake Gyllenhaal's going to win the. I mean, he's definitely get nominated. Mm. Didn't even get nominated. No, yeah, absolutely. And, and yeah. um, so I've been wrong before, but I, I remember being, and I'm sure everyone was the same when we watched uh, uh, Three Billboards Outside um, Emming mm. um, with Franz McDormand and that scene in the uh, interrogation, you know, police office, and, you mm. know, where she turns on a dime from Woody Harrelson yeah. interrogating her to suddenly coughing up blood and the look on her face. And I remember yeah. being in the cinema at that moment going, I win the Oscar for that. Yeah, yeah, Just yeah. for that scene alone. Yeah. Oh look, I felt the same. Uh, I felt the same with uh, Yun Yu Zhong, uh, yeah. that scene where she just stares at her family sleeping on the floor. Yeah, and I thought, Oscar. Yeah, or, or at least nomination. At yeah, that stage. But, yeah, nomination. But gosh, that that is the the moment that wins your awards. I know. And, I mean, the, the the crazy thing is like, France McDormand's now won three Best Actress Oscars since Catherine Hepburn would have been the first person to do it, right? Yeah. Um. And Glenn Close hasn't won one. Glenn Close could be sitting there going, Eight "What have I got to do?" Right? Yeah. yeah, she's like the Peter O'Toole of of yeah. the act, of the actress side of things. Well, I mean, and, and I haven't seen Hillbilly Elegy. Yeah, my, my understanding is it's not good. Yeah. So I mean, even if you're doing a great performance in a film which is just yeah. getting panned, that's not going to help. No, you know? no, that's right. But I mean, the thing is, it feels like they keep trying to throw her these bones of, you know, and everyone feels sorry for her. Like Olivia Coleman, when you won for the favourites, like I didn't think this was going to happen, and I'm so sorry, Glenn Close. And then even Yu Jung Jung is like, oh, this is ridiculous. I don't think of this competition. Like I'm better than Glenn Close. That's ridiculous. You know, she said that. You know, and I mean, that's the thing where she's looking at Franz McDormand, who's just like rocking up, just saying three sentences for her Oscar speech, and then just walking off. Oh, her you know? Oscar speech, I loved it. Just yeah, a model of brevity. It's yeah, fantastic. And uh, yeah, and um, I, look, I almost didn't pick her. Like I almost didn't. I mean, yeah. not that I didn't think she was great, and she wasn't likely, but just like three times, really. Yeah, was, you know? especially so clo- like the last one was so close. The yeah, last totally. one, was, it, three yeah. Ebbings was not, like three years ago or something. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, that was that was amazing, um, and good honor. You know, it's great, but um, yeah, yeah it was great it was work, quite incredible. Um, I mean, how many Oscars are in that household, eh? You know, oh. <laughs> Just running out of space. Yeah, <laughs> Joel Cohen sitting there as well, just like uh, just chilled. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. They cut to him at one point as well, and he was just like looking. So, uh, <laughs> just to go back in time a little bit, a few months ago, if yeah. you told me, purely based on momentum, that horrible yeah. word, oh, yeah, 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 and the way I felt things were going, 
Uh, I would have said with 10 nominations, Mank was the film to beat. Yeah, oh, this is one. I've watched Mank uh, yep. recently. Have mm. you seen it? Yes. Yeah. Uh, I was just, To be honest, I didn't know what it was doing there. I don't I, know. I, I, I'm perplexed. I was just like, I don't, like all the technical stuff, absolutely, like the well, set no, design. No, no, so, I, I, I disagree on that too. Really? Like what bugs me, what infuriated me watching the film is like the cinematography where they said, yeah, we want this to make, you know, we want to catch the essence of like a 1940s. Yeah. Yeah, and they shot it on digital, which is like you know I don't j- judge that; that's fine. But yeah. then to put fake cigarette burns to tell me the reel was changing, yeah, what what a load <laughs> of wank, you know? Yeah, that's ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, I know that I'm, what I'm seeing isn't a cigarette burn. Yeah. So what are you doing putting it up there? I mean, what do you think you are, Grindhouse, and just oh, <laughs> we're going to put scratches and film burn to make it look like it's a real '70s film experience? That annoyed me. I just, right, I okay. just thought that was ridiculous. Yeah. I, I had no problem with that. Like, um, oh, every time I saw one come up, it's like it gave me a little shudder. Right. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, the the main thing with me is, um, I didn't. That film just kind of washed over me. Like there was yeah. nothing. It was a very atypical David Fincher film as well. Like it, uh, if I couldn't pick that out of a lineup, if you told me that was a Fincher film, we'd be like, really? Oh, sure. sure. I have no idea. Um, it didn't seem to have much of a. It just seemed like a straightforward kind of biopic. It didn't. It didn't really have a that much yeah, of a growth to it. I just yeah, I was like, I don't, what's going it was on written here? Written by his father. Yeah. Yeah, and um, yeah. I mean, I get that. I get there's a labor of love and all no, the rest I of do, it. No, so, I do. I mean, I mean, the script was one of his weaknesses in, in some respects. Yeah. You know, because it had these things like you know that he he's a a generous guy because the script has people tell you he's a generous guy. Yeah. And that you know she's um. You know, Amanda Seyfried's character is a um, way smarter than she looks because somebody says you're way smarter than you look. Yeah. You know, it's one of those sort of films. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I was just, I was just confused as to what that was doing there. I didn't really understand. Like, I was, you know, and as I've said, that, if it seems to me where people are like saying, oh, yeah, but, you know, it's this, this, this great um, kind of untold story. It's like, I've seen the story so many times about Mankiewicz being the, you know, Oh, for being sure. A, being the co-author of... Yeah. You know, it's like, yeah, there's... there's it's been done. There's that RKO one, RKO 184 or whatever yep. it's called. Yep. There's the... Uh, there's a Battle for Citizen Kane documentary. There's yep. there's all kinds of stuff. Yeah. There's books being written about this. So people were saying, you know, it's finally the true story and blah, blah, blah. It's like, we've been hearing the true story for 20 years, literally. So I don't understand what, why this is... Yeah, there's... Um, um, the, yeah. Whatever propelled it to 10 nominations. Yeah, yeah. And then it felt like that... That fell away, I guess, close to the Oscars, you know? Yeah. I, I never thought that it was ever going to win any Oscars. No, no, but... Also because it's Netflix. Right, yeah, yeah. And they, they want to punish Netflix as much as they can. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, maybe slightly less so now that COVID. COVID's probably the best thing yeah, for yeah, Netflix because yeah. it's probably softened the... Um, but still, you know, the, the fact you can't go to... and Oldman and... Oh, uh, for sure. big names, so. Yeah, I never, I never, I was mystified. And I knew they were just making up the numbers. There was nothing in that. Even before I saw the film, I was like, they're making up the numbers. They're, right. They're, there's That's no. That's the thing. I mean, there's, you know. I didn't think there was any momentum behind that. I thought Bozeman was momentum. Oh, no, I remember there being talk earlier on. I tell you what, what possibly ran out of momentum for me was Promising Young Woman. Because when that came out, people were like, Oscar, Oscar, Oscar. That's going right. to. That, and that was the one where, because I haven't seen it, but that was the one where everyone was like, dude, you know, Promising Young Woman, man, that's going to. It's going to do it. It didn't feel like it was going to do it to me. No, um, but I think that, yeah, and then there was, uh, whereas I think the father is the one that's kind of crept up. And, yes. yeah, um, and, yeah, that's the one that's probably, you know, winning Best Adapted. I didn't necessarily, th- it was interesting how much it was all shared around, even the technical categories. Mm. The Sound of Sound of Metal won a couple of technical categories. Yep. Mank won a couple. Uh, Maharani's Black Bottom won a couple. Um, the... I thought it did a pretty good job, actually. With, with I, I like the way it flowed. Um, I yeah. think not having presenters and uh, yeah. actors speaking as well. Yeah. yeah. And actually, the the way that it was set up with, with so it wasn't that big auditorium, yeah. everyone sitting awkwardly and kind of, and, and like they're in a school assembly. Yeah. Actually, actually helped. Yeah. yeah, me too. I liked it. Yeah. It looked like they were at a Vegas show or something with everyone yeah. sitting at their Fun. booths. Yeah. Yeah. With your waitress. Yeah. <laughs> spoiler alert. So that's spoiler alert for April yeah. uh, 2021. So... Simon, what was your film of the month? Well, look, this month I obviously watched a lot of Oscar contenders and Godzilla vs. Kong. But let's <laughs> uh, not talk about those. I also saw for the first time a previous Oscar winner, 1961's West Side Story, which was remarkable. 
um, sort of Academy. Mm-hmm. Uh, nice. Film, you know. Beautifully shot and just an amazing musical. Uh, even more so when it wasn't centred around Leeds, Natalie Wood and Richard Bamer, who were too clean cut and therefore less interesting to me mm. than the scrappy, fascinating characters around them. Uh, that and Natalie was dubbed by, by a very operatic singing voice, you know, mm. her, and that clashed against the more naturalistic singers around her. Um, so instead, I'm going to give a shout-out to a different film, um, The Dark and the Wicked. Okay. Uh, now, I know I'm the horror guy, but it's actually been a spell since I watched a horror show. So it was kind of a twisted joy to watch 2020's The Dark and the Wicked. The antithesis of a feel-good movie, The Dark and the Wicked, is both dark and wicked, <laughs> uh, piling misery upon misery as two siblings come home to their families, rural Texas home to help their mother nurse their dying father, only to discover there are darker forces at work. Full of ghoulish scares, ever-mounting dread, and vicious nihilism, it's a flick that had me genuinely feeling the cold chills as the characters are tormented by... I don't know, an entity perhaps, um, that takes the forms of people they trusted or lost. Most disturbingly, the local priest played by Xander Berkeley. Uh, it's a brutal watch, and I can thoroughly recommend it if you want a bad time. Sounds interesting. <laughs> Enjoyed it a plenty. Uh, yeah. Uh, well, my film of the month uh, I already spoke about was The Father. So, uh, yeah, um, everyone go and check it out. Uh, yeah. Absolutely, yeah. Okay, and so the song we're going out to is from West Side Story. Um, it's, uh, keep it cool. Yeah, cool. Uh, Leonard mm. Bernstein and uh, Stephen Soderheim. Um, so, yeah, there's, there's obviously the Twin Peaks uh, actors are in that. You know that as well, eh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so they're both, uh, yep. they're both yep. in that. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Yeah, Russ Tamlin. Um, I loved him in West Side Story because he yeah. was the most uh, showy, athletic, kind of yeah. dancer amongst them, you know? Yeah. He was the guy doing flips and stuff and yeah. handstands and, you know, just really reveling in it. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's some really great performances in the film. Like I say, yeah. the leads for me were just a bit soft. Yeah. The film itself is, you know, spectacular. Yeah, no, it's great. And, of course, uh, you know, Rita Moreno is in it. And yeah. she, this presenter won the Oscar. She, she's one of the few people who's, who, she's got an EGOT. Yeah. yeah so, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And, uh, so yeah, and she's an electric company. So yeah, you can't electric go wrong. Company. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Hey, you guys. <laughs> um, yeah. So uh, yeah, that's the song we're going out to. So th- uh, thanks everyone for listening. Get out there and um, check out some of the uh, Oscar films if you haven't seen them. Yep. And uh, especially if they're at the cinema. And um, uh, yeah, we'll see you next month. All right. Take care. Cheers. I want to get even. Get cool. I want to bust. Bust cool. I want to go. Go cool. Boy, boy, crazy boy. Get cool, boy. Got a rocket in your pocket. Keep coolly cool, boy. Don't get hot, cause man, you've got some high times ahead. Take it slow, and daddy-o, you can live it up and die in bed. Boy, boy, crazy boy. Stay loose, boy. Breeze it, buzz it. Easy does it. Turn off the juice, boy. Go, man, go. But not like a yo-yo school boy. Just play it cool, boy. Real cool. J'ai cru trop longtemps que les femmes étaient magiques. Mais bien sûr qu'elles sont pas magiques. Ou bien les hommes sont magiques aussi. Tout le monde est magique. Ou personne n'est magique.